is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave podcast. This is Dave, and I've got to say this is a very special episode and edition of this show. Uh, In case you weren't watching or haven't been paying attention, Michigan won the national championship. Uh, And in case you haven't been listening to our show, Mike is a big Michigan fan. So we're going to obviously get to that a little bit later in the show. So stick around, make sure you listen for that. Um, But before we get into that, um, we've got Off the Top and Mike is bringing the prompt for this week. Hello, this is Mike. And yes, I am a big Michigan fan. I don't know any bigger Michigan fans than myself. Maybe somewhere one exists, but of whose existence I'm not aware. It is funny, like, oh, coming off that monumental hype. But let's start with off the top, (laughs) something unrelated, and then we'll get into that. Just hold your horses. If it had been my turn for off the top, then I probably would have just led off with it. But we stick to tradition for the most part on this show, so that's what we're going to do. I promise we'll not to ramble too long and then we'll let you wax lyrical about (laughs) your team. Hooray. It just had to be an even number episode that we were on. Also, just everyone, thanks for waiting for episode 70. Uh, After we, you know, postponed it a bit with the end of the year and all that, we will make it worth your while. Hope. Off the top. Dave, we can rejoice. Arthur Smith is gone. Good riddance. Um, I wrote the prompt before he was fired. And it was going to be like, is there anything you can say to his defense? But no, that would be too easy. The answer to that is no. So I just want to open the floor to you to talk about Arthur Smith. Um, You know, thoughts about the firing um, and potentially if there are any, you know, replacements that you have in mind, uh, any coaches you have your eye on that you would like for the Falcons to shop. Uh, recruit whatever uh, by all means tell us that but I guess also what was it about Arthur Smith that was so so bad you know I'd love nothing more than to take a few minutes to to come to answer that question um, I guess what I'll say first of all is I was a little concerned uh, that after the Panthers game, when nothing was, when nothing happened, um, that they were going to potentially give Arthur Smith one more year. Um, thankfully, that is not what happened. I do think it's hilarious that they didn't even wait until the day after, or typically the Monday after the regular season ends, is when all the coaches get fired. No, they basically just did it that, that same night. Just like, not nah, just, just get out of here. Um, it's Seen over. Enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's one thing to... Um, actually, here's what I'll say. So we're also doing a top five this episode because it is episode 70. Uh, and we are going to be talking about sports rivalries um, and each giving our top five sports rivalries Uh team edition um and for the falcons there is no bigger rival than the saints we hate the saints they hate us um that's it's pretty simple um it's one thing 
to get blown out by your most bitter rival. It's another when the playoffs are basically on the line. Like, yes, the other results didn't pan out to where it didn't actually matter if we won or lost the game, but it was just, it just showed that, you know, when it really came down to it, we could not get the wins. The fact that we ended up with the same record this year as we did the previous years where we were in that, you know, quote, rebuilding phase, getting rid of all of those bad contracts and the dead money and all that kind of stuff. We actually splashed the cash in free agency. For the most part, I feel like our free agent signings played pretty well, obviously led by Jesse Bates. And yet here we are sitting at the same spot in the draft and the same record as the previous two years when this year was supposed to be the year that you know, the rebuild was over and that we were ready to contend for the division. Now, yes, we did contend for the division only because it was <laughs> terrible. Uh, so, yeah, it's I'm glad that they fired him. Um, I, To be honest, I just never liked the guy. He always seemed inauthentic to me. He always seemed just kind of apathetic in a way, just the way that he taught. I don't know. I, I just didn't really like it. Now the the players all have come out and said that they they were behind him 100% and he's their favorite coach and all that stuff which is fine. Um I just I was tired of the inconsistency. It's I think I I read somewhere where they they hadn't won more than two games in a row under him. Um uh, which is just embarrassing not to mention all the losses to terrible teams this year um so it was just it was time um and in term I, I could go on for a lot longer but i'm not going to um <laughs> in terms of who i want uh i'll tell you who i don't want bill belichick i'm sorry but we do not the last thing that we need is as as great as he has been in his career the last thing we need is a guy like him to come in uh Really, what we need is somebody to run the offense, uh, which is what Arthur Smith was supposed to do and failed at using the weapons that we spent all of our high draft picks on. So to me, I think we need an offensive guy. So, you know, Mike Vrabel, I was surprised that he was let go. He's obviously more of a, a, of a defensive coach, um, which if we got Mike Vrabel, I wouldn't be mad for sure. Uh, but really I'm looking at Ben Johnson, who's the, the offensive coordinator of the lions. And then obviously Eric bien as well. Um, who's been sniffing around the, the head coaching jobs for quite some time. And I feel like, you know, it, he's probably ready for that, uh, as well. So I'm looking at those two guys personally. Um, yes, maybe we could go for for Harbaugh, um, that would be interesting. Um, to be honest, I always feel weird about the college coaches coming to the NFL. I feel like it rarely works. It didn't even work for Nick Saban. Um, I remember who was that? Uh, who was the Baylor coach who went to the Panthers and was absolutely awful? The only Panthers coach I'm thinking of is Matt Rule. That's him. Oh, yeah, okay. Matt Rule. Um, I mean, he was he he was doing great at the college level went to the Panthers and was absolutely horrible. And they fired him pretty soon. 
Uh, we haven't really seen a whole lot of other, at least head coaches, get opportunities at the NFL level after coaching at the college level. So it's just, um, it's one of those things where like, yes, ideally I'd like a coach that had, you know, previous head coaching experience, but in terms of that, and then also him being an offensive coach, there just aren't that many guys out there that I'm really looking at and being like, Ooh, this, this would be a really great hire. So Frable would be, I would be fine with Johnson or Bienemy. I would be fine with, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arthur Blank went out and, and made a splash, um, at the head coaching position. I, I'm just going out there and saying, I don't know about Belichick. Um, at, at this point in his career, I just think that that would be a, a, a major gamble. And we've already seen that Belichick, the GM, is kind of trash. So he would have to relinquish that for me to, to feel good about it, too. So I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next you know few weeks, as I'm sure they'll do their research. But at the very least, we won't have Arthur Smith anymore. Um, and... I think hopefully also depending on what the quarterback situation looks like going into next year, there'll be room for optimism with, you know, whoever we, we bring in. Yeah. I will say about Harbaugh, like at least he before Michigan did have that NFL success. You yeah. Know, uh, he was close to winning the Super Bowl with the 49ers. And when he didn't get there, he went back to the conference championship game the year after. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are not many historically uh, coaches that, have found success at both levels. It's like him. It's like Pete Carroll. Um, yeah. As for Belichick, like, yeah. Um, it's one of those, like, p- there would be part of me that would be, like, hype to see the news just because, I don't know if hype is even the right word, but, like, just so taken aback. Yeah. Like, Belichick, the Falcons? Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, it wouldn't, you know... I wouldn't be pessimistic about it. I'd be like, you know, there's certainly potential there. He's all-time elite coach over there. Um, But from Belichick's side, like, I don't see it that way. You know, like, if you're Belichick, the last thing you want to do is go somewhere else and suck. Um, That just further builds that that narrative of, oh, nope, it was just Brady. Like, like, for Belichick to go somewhere, it's got to be somewhere that he feels like, okay, there is enough structure like in this ro- on this roster for us to compete like pretty much right away. Um, it all they're lacking is like the coaching itself. Like I look at like the Chargers, right, which is one of the better jobs out there. Like they have all these good players on both sides of the ball. Like that to me feels Belichicky. Eric Bieniemy, yeah, that one. That's the one that would get me hype. Yeah, um, I I would be interested. Um, and him, even though the commanders, like at one point, Sam Howell was leading the league in passing yards. He was, that went downhill pretty quick, but I do respect what Ben Johnson has done with the lions, but pretty much turning around Jared Goff's career. Um, and them being, you know, yes, I think Dan Campbell deserves a lot of credit for the job that he's done. I think Johnson also deserves a lot of the credit too. Because other than the back in the day where Stafford was 
lobbing it up to Megatron. It's been a long time since the Lions have had any sort of functional offense. (laughs) And now they are, you know, a top 10. Yeah, I would say probably not, maybe not top five, but top 10 offense in the league for sure. Um, Close to top five. And, you know, I'm excited to see what they do in the playoffs too. But yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what direction they go in because I could see them going for an established big name instead of a, um, you know, offensive coordinator hire type. But I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if they end up going with one of the the big guys just because it hasn't worked the past couple times. Yeah, I am sure that Blank wants to make it splash if he can. You know, you can see it on his old face he's tired of this mediocrity mediocrity at his best yeah he got the um he got that atlanta united win and his like and like it's second year of existence but however long he's on the falcons it just hasn't happened so i'm sure especially as you're getting older too you've got to be like all right i'm i'm getting old like (laughs) i need to start seeing some some real momentum go in some, at least give me a couple playoff wins, you know, but having the same record three years in a row, even though the situations were drastically different is like, how can you be that consistent and yet so inconsistent that you can't string together like three wins in a row? (laughs) Like only the freaking Falcons, honestly. I mean, he owns home Depot and that, franchise has as many super bowl wins as the falcons yeah like you know you know who is going to be a a popular name among head coaching vacancies dan quinn would you welcome back dan quinn after his you know amazing job that he did that he's done with the dallas defense would you welcome him back to atlanta to take over the the helm is that a trick question <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Come on, man. I just wanted Somewhere to hear you say Somewhere along the it. way, we shifted from a sports podcast to a comedy com, a, a comedy <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, Dan Quinn is a defensive coordinator. It's what he does. It's all he should ever be entrusted to do. Seattle, great defense. With him as the DC, he comes to Atlanta, head coach. Doesn't work goes back to doubt and goes to dallas dc it works like if if he wants to come be our defensive coordinator which i mean our defense wasn't even that bad this year <laughs> still no ryan nielsen yeah. did a great job this year but i mean like even like years in the future if for whatever reason he wants to come be our dc yeah i'd welcome that but head coach please stay away i want a head coach restraining order against Dan quinn <laughs> I have a feeling that 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 bridge has been burned for sure. Um, and rightfully so. But yeah, he's probably last on the list. Um, but anyways, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But um, it'll be interesting, as it always is every year, to see the, the head coaching carousel um, in the NFL. And I guess you could also say in college football, too, because there could be some crossover there. Actually, let, let me ask you, um, and this can kind of go ahead and just 
move us right into the national championship talk. Um, what give me like what percentage chance you think that Harbaugh is done at Michigan and is going to take an NFL job versus staying? I've actually been thinking about that a lot today. Uh, it being the day after the national championship that we're recording this. Um, I'm. This sounds like a cop out answer, but fifty percent. Uh, I don't mean for it to be. Oh yeah, fifty fifty. Either he does or he doesn't. Um, I can see him staying. I want him to stay. I'd rather him coach Michigan than the Falcons or any other team. Um, I think it's what he's best at. He was good in the NFL, but he is, in my mind now, a solidified elite college coach. Uh, he it took some like mentoring from other uh, guys in that locker room to get to the point where he's at now. Like you look at his first six years versus the last three years, he's way more of a player's coach now. And I think he's like found his, like found his niche, I guess um, his style, you know, I think he's best at Michigan. Um, I can also see him going like, okay, I came back to win this game and I did it. Um, I don't have anything else to prove. I've proven that I can do it. I have my national championship. Meanwhile, the NCAA freaking hates me. Um, I've, I sat out six games this, uh, this year on two separate three game suspensions. Um, it's no secret that leadership in the NCAA doesn't like me. Um, there will continue to be controversies. Um, whereas with the NFL, like there's, there are different levels of structure in place uh, that would, in theory, mitigate some of that controversy or like prevent some of those like things from coming. I don't know. Um, it seems more straightforward, a little safer in that regard to go to the NFL. Um, not to mention like the places he could go, uh, the Chargers, like for example, uh, Washington. Any. I feel like any team out there that can land Jim Harbaugh, that's got to be like number one on the shopping list for a lot of teams. Uh, I hope he comes back. Uh, I feel like he's best there. I just can, I can see him just being like, no, that was a big headache that I don't feel like dealing with again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is kind of the biggest middle finger screw you to the NCAA of like this year was probably the, the toughest year at least in terms of like off-field issues and and whatever um and yet we still won so like even after all of that so yeah i I can definitely see that happening yeah i mean you're not really going to get recruiting violations in the nfl uh you don't have to worry about stealing signs because they actually have the helmets that the guys get the signals from so you don't have to worry about all that um so, yeah, I mean, I think it makes some sense. Um, I can obviously understand why you would want him to stay considering you just won a national championship with him as the head coach. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, not that my opinion really matters that much in this case, but if I, if I were him, I would, I would go ahead and go. Um, I'm sure that he's... I'm sure that he's like sick of all of the, the off the field stuff and 
he got his championship and you know that's that's kind of that so we'll see what ends up happening but um you know he did it (laughs) he won one and so they won't I was actually going to say they won't be able to take it away from him. I hope for your sake that that's the case. Uh, I know there has been some stuff out there of like, will they like vacate wins or whatever? I I doubt it. We don't, I don't know. Um, but at the very least, like they got to the top of the mountain. So um, all that saying, after watching the game yesterday, your wildest dreams realized um, how how does it feel today and how did it feel last night when I guess when they got that interception um, and at that point it was pretty much over or I guess for you what when did you think it was actually over was the actual the final was it actually the final whistle because <laughs> you weren't willing to to uh, to believe it until it actually happened or or did you kind of know like at the interception or any other point of the game. I have so much to say in general. And then like to narrow it down, I have so much to say in response to the, those questions. Um, yeah. The point at which um, I knew, or, you know, I guess 99.9% or whatever, you know, really felt okay. We did it was, I feel like when Mike Sanderstro got that interception, I was at like 98%. It's like, that's it. Right. That's it. Right. That's it. Right. And then, the go-ahead touchdown right after when when Corum got into the end zone after that I have no problem saying it I cried I I was I hoping legitimately did I sat on my floor and I had I just put my head down and I was just overwhelmed um and <clears throat> you said like my biggest dream was realized yeah my biggest fear was vanquished. Like, you know this about me, but our audience might not like my biggest fear in life is that, you know, I'd be that Cubs fan that went viral. You know, the, the hundred and something year old dude has just been hanging on <laughs> for dear life while, not, while his team doesn't win the championship. I was like, that's going to be me, you know? Um, and you know, for people that are like, kind of casual sports fans that's like okay whatever you know just have fun watching the games but for people like us that get like super invested in the games that watch every week and um have been watching every week like for me i've been watching every week for like 20 years um which is kind of crazy to say um and you know not just watching the games but like keeping up with the recruiting and watching like videos and listening to podcasts about it like week in week out it's huge and to not or to you know lose every year um to or rather to not win the championship it is the kind of thing that makes you go like at what point will this pay off like will my investment yield the the joy that i want to see at the end of it and yesterday was realizing like here it is it's all like been worth it now all the failure all the the losses to Ohio State, and there have been a freaking lot of them. All the ineptitude, all the all the nonsense is finally worth it, finally rewarded. And I just I just felt that 
in that moment like it's worth it now um my my fear has will not come true and i will never in my life be able to say none of my teams did it because michigan did that for me and there's not a team i'd rather have done it than michigan um amazing that was i guess that was when i knew and that was my immediate response to it yeah for sure um yeah it was for me when when they got that pick i was like okay the momentum has has shifted so much and that's one great thing about college football that i think is maybe more than any other sport um you can really sense the momentum shifting back and forth um especially in these really big games when you have you know these 18 to 22 year old kids um out there playing in front of millions and millions and millions of people with so much on the line um you know momentum has as much of a say in the outcome of the game as anything else and that was when i really felt like it fully shifted all the way uh over to michigan and like you said they they powered in that touchdown i was like okay well that's that's it for sure um I I just thought it was a classic Michigan performance too, which I think is also something that makes it kind of a bit more special or a bit more like, yeah, we, this is who we are and we stuck true to that and we were rewarded for it. Um, I thought that they're, when they were talking about, when they had that, uh, I think it was Holly Rowe who had that, uh, bit about Sharon Moore um, and kind of the, the impact that he had coming into the program, coaching the offensive line and saying like, it's, star- you know, it starts with us. We need to be the leaders um, and everything's going to kind of flow from there. Cause this is Michigan football winning in the trenches. I just thought that was, that was so true and, and a really interesting story uh, because really that's, that's what won Michigan the national championship was not just the play of the offensive line, but the defensive line as well, which the offensive line had gotten most of the plaudits, um, you know, specifically this year than, you know, than the defensive line had. But I thought on both ends, it was very much a, a physical grind them down. Um, when I, when I texted Mike after the, the game, I was like, you know, it was, it reminded me of a, of a boxing match and just continuing to, you know, land body shot after body shot. And eventually they just couldn't keep going and they just crumpled. Um, and that to me is what the identity of Michigan football and, you know, big 10 football as a whole and specifically Michigan football is about. Um, and the fact that they were able to successfully do that, even through the second and third quarters where they weren't really doing a whole lot with the run game. It was, you know, it was more so like bit by bit they were wearing them down. Um, and then when it got to the end of the game, it just all, like I said, all the momentum just crashed. Um, and it was, it was just kind of satisfying to watch too. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really impressed with their performance. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that it ended up being that much of a margin of victory. Um, Though I figured if it was going to be a close game, 
then I kind of favored Washington just because they'd won so many close games this year. Um, but if it was going to be a, a larger margin of victory, then it was probably going to be Michigan. Um, so, so yeah, so obviously congrats to, to them, um, in a tumultuous season to say the least, uh, the fact that they were all able to stay steady throughout it kind of is a testament to the whole program and to all the leaders on that team as well. Coram McCarthy seeing her still like all those guys really stepping up and, and keeping everybody focused, um, you know, regardless of whether or not there were a ton of hard opponents on the schedule during the season, when it came down to it, Michigan answered the bell every time. Um, even sometimes without the head coach there. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely an impressive performance. And, um, the fact that they stayed true to themselves during it was, was a a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Our offensive line all season, really the last three seasons, they've been elite at this, like really setting the tempo there. Um, you know, deciding like this is, it's going to be a physical game and we will out physical you. And it's the depth there too. Like realistically, we have seven NFL. Well, I guess six since Zach Center was hurt. But you know, we did this without our best offensive lineman. And you know, next guy up, we had several NFL caliber offensive linemen. And you compound that with Blake Corum's running style. You know, it's not just that he's a good running back. It's you know he doesn't avoid contact at all. He runs straight into you. Um, that wears a defense down too. It's like, okay, Blake Corum, three yard run, you know, whatever. Um, like it's easy to think about that, especially if you're just looking at the box score or like the, uh, the game summary or whatever. But like there were multiple three yard runs during that game where I just got hyped. I was like, yes, you know, do that. You know, uh, this is who we are. Break them down because third quarter, fourth quarter, that shows up. Guys are tired of dealing with that. And then you go to the other side of the ball and freaking Jesse Minner, man. Like I love Harbaugh. Jesse Minner's defense has carried us through this season. That, uh, that Baltimore Ravens style defense. My biggest fear, honestly, with Harbaugh leaving with the thought of Harbaugh leaving is that we wouldn't just lose him, but in all likelihood would also lose Jesse Minner. My feeling is that Harbaugh would just take his DC with him. Like, okay, let's take this defense to Los Angeles or whatever. Um, and Sharon Moore is great. We'd be in great hands there. But our defense carried us through this game against Alabama. They show up every time. Um, and it starts with that front four. Like, you look at the defense we implemented against Washington. And Jesse Minner said, you know, before the game, he told he went to that front line, those front four, and said, you guys are the best defensive line in the country. The four of you, like we're sending y'all, we're going to play a safer coverage. And we did that. The pressure that we were able to get from our front four allowed us to play Michael Penix differently um, so that he didn't have as many opportunities to kill us through the air like he's, you know, like he'd otherwise be capable of doing. And there were some key drops in there. Um, really bad one from Roma Dunze, for example. But, you know, you know, uh, the game overall was really dictated by that defense that we played. Um, and we just had so much depth at every position. And 
this one this leads to me talking about development because I want to talk about two names and that's JJ McCarthy and Will Johnson. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about how Alabama has the five stars on the bench getting Nick Saban water, you know. Will Johnson and JJ McCarthy are the only five star recruits on this team. Like, that's crazy to me. Over the last four years, in terms of recruiting, we've been 10th, 9th, 13th, and 17th. This is not a story of a team going out and getting all the best players out of high school and, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. It's a story of a team developing the talent that it had. Um, so much so that, you know, we could bring in our backup quarterback for a minute, let J.J. McCarthy get a break. We rotated three running backs. We rotated, like, eight defensive linemen. We rotated, like, six linebackers. You know, we were able to just keep bringing new guys in in ways that Washington wasn't. And that's why we stayed fresh all the way through the fourth quarter. It's like I was saying before about it being a testament to the whole program, um, the the nature of the win. Because, um, yeah, I, I do think there was a lot of development. And there's something else that was there. And that was obvious to me. That stood out to me during the game. And that was poise. Um, you know, obviously Michigan has had their opportunities in the past couple years hasn't quite gotten the job done. Um, even after beating Ohio State, it still wasn't enough. And to me, it was pretty obvious that Michigan had, you know, even after those first few nervy minutes against Alabama in the Rose Bowl, the fact that they were able to then write the course and were able to, to go ahead and played their style of football and keep their composure quicker than they had in years past really made a big difference. And then kind of once they overcame that in the Rose Bowl against Alabama, it was kind of like coming into the national championship against Washington. Like, okay, we proved it to ourselves that we can do it. I was really surprised at the fact that Penix was missing some pretty easy throws. You know, there seemed to be some miscommunication on defense specifically where, especially that second Donovan Edwards touchdown, like all he had to do was just make one cut and there was literally no one there. Um, and I was, I was just kind of looking at it like, huh? It, you, you'd think that they would have figured out all this out by now. <laughs> um, so I was a little surprised by that for sure. Um, but the fact is that I think Michigan kept their composure and stuck to the game plan and Washington wasn't really able to um, to keep theirs. And to me, that was the biggest difference in the game because Washington hits a few of those, those you know, deep shots down the field. Maybe, you know, one or two of those end up in touchdowns and it's a totally different game, you know. Um, but once they started not really playing their best and missing some easy stuff, they kind of are the ones that crumpled and Michigan in the previous game had kind of dealt with similar issues, but you know, regained their composure quicker. So that was something that that was kind of the other thing I wanted to bring up about the game that, that I noticed that, you know, again, is a testament to, like I said, the leaders um, among the players. And then also of course the, the coaches for, for really creating that type of environment and, and, it just shows that they were battle tested over the course of, you know, a few years. Yeah. Um, I like that, you know, um, 
we didn't have a podcast episode between the Bama game and the Washington game, but obviously you and I talked plenty about it. Um, I was distraught, to say the least, at the beginning of the Alabama game uh, when we made <laughs> several early and big mistakes because I was thinking about the two Michigan teams prior. And those early mistakes snowballed both years against Georgia and then against TCU. And so when we started making early mistakes against Bama, I was like, shit, here we go again. You know, like this is going to be, it's the beginning of the end basically, but they maintained their composure against Bama. Um, They weren't rattled, you know, they, it was like, okay, well we made a mistake here. Let's just go correct it. Um, And we saw that, First of all, special teams, despite being absolute trash against Alabama, was flawless against Washington. In the most literal sense, there weren't any mistakes. No uh, muff catches or anything. But even that extra point that doinked off the upright still went through. That's that's also kind of what I knew. Like, this is just going to go Michigan's way today. Yeah. Um, you could tell, like, on kick re- returns and punt returns, like, we were way more hesitant to take it out uh, to try to return it. Instead, we were just like, okay, we're going to let it bounce. You know, I was – even if the ball rolled back, like, 15 yards, I was like, okay, it wasn't a muffed punt, <laughs> you know, golden. Um, so we learned from that. But also, like, you look at – you look at Will Johnson, for example. He He gets a defensive holding call. Later in the game, he's getting a big time interception. You look at um, you look at Mike Sanderstro, uh misses an open tackle. Later on, he's getting a big third down stop, like literally wrestling the guy, um, and just showing like I want it more and I'm better than you. Like wrestling him down, capitalizing on that. Uh, in an early drive, we saw one of our safeties, Keon Sab, uh, miss a wide open tackle. Uh, which allowed them to convert and, you know, just go down the field. Uh, He does not get taken out of the game, and he makes several pivotal plays throughout the course of the game. And these are, like you said earlier, 18 to 22-year-old kids. Like, they're showing composure that I don't know that I would have, you know? If I missed a tackle like that in the first quarter of the national championship, I'd be in my head, like, hard. Um, And he's, nope, it's, it's behind me, you know? Uh, so much respect for that. Um, yeah, just all the way around, like we were composed, we were ready. And that comes to like, that's a testament to both the coaching and the players themselves, uh, respect on both levels of that. And Mm -hmm. they were able to back up the talk of, you know, unfinished business. Uh, Blake Coram said before the game, like, this is the game that I came back for, you know? I would have gone pro like he didn't say these words, but like I would, he would have gone pro if not for the opportunity to play in a national championship game. And he's not alone in that. And that was palpable and they backed it up. They did it. They finished the job. Yeah. So, and you know, also commiserations to Washington who had an incredible season and to be honest, proved so many people wrong over the course of the season um, who said, you know, this is going to be the game that they're going to lose. No, it's going to be this one. They're not going to be able to pull this game out. And every single time they answered the call, 
Um, this this last game just proved to be one too many. Um, I felt really bad for Penix out there. He was trying his best, but he wasn't able, you know, Michigan just had a much superior, you know, game plan and the players executed to the point where it was just really hard for him to do his thing. Not to mention the fact that he didn't get a, a ton of help from his receivers either or his offensive line uh, specifically. Uh, so, you know, I felt bad for him. Um, you know, it was, he had a, an amazing year at Heisman caliber year. Um, and, you know, I'll be interested to see where he ends up in the NFL, um, where they pick him. To be honest, it was it was such a different experience watching him in the national championship game versus the game against Texas. Um, the game against Texas, he looked like the best quarterback on the planet. Um, dr- dropping in, you know, dropping it into a bucket from like 50 yards away, um, you know, evasiveness in the pocket, making plays um, with his legs even a little bit, um, you know, just really high level stuff. And it's just a testament, I think, to to Michigan and being able to get pressure with the front four that really got him off his game and really, you know, we were we talked about body shots. Literally, Penix was holding his midsection by the end of the game, <laughs> like he like he just got punched a bunch of times in the stomach, you know. Um, so, yeah, I felt bad for him. It's not the way that he wanted to end because he also, I mean, you you just said that about Blake Corum. This is the reason why Penix came back this year was to play for a national championship and he got really close. Um, so shout out to him. Kalen DeBoer did an amazing job uh, coaching this team this year. Um, and I'm sure that even though they're going to be losing quite a few of their really good players, uh, Washington, I think is here to stay as long as DeBoer is the head coach. So definitely want to give a shout out to Washington for a really special season. Um, you know, it made, that last year of the Pac-12, as we know it, um, a really entertaining one, really interesting, and kind of proved that, yeah, they 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 almost went out with a bang. They still went out with a bang, but you know, not not the big bang, but um, but still, it kind of showed like, yeah, the the teams out west are are still capable of of competing. So, um, so yeah, anything else you wanted to to mention about the the national championship? Before we move on, it happened. And, you know, I said this to my fiance today, and I can't decide how much of an exaggeration it is, if at all, but I don't think it is. Um, I said, I've been super into sports for like 20 years, and this revitalized me. Like, you know, in, in that, like, I've, the curse is broken type of thing, you know, like, it's possible, I can, I've seen it now, um, and honestly, like, yesterday was one of the best days of my life, that, that was a joy that, you know, when I think of, like, days that have made me that happy, like, I think about the day that I got engaged, but like other than that there's not really anything that that does it at that level um in the same way um and you know i said to her today maybe 
like I feel like that just if that's it for twenty years, so be it. Like I could I said I could go another twenty years without one. And I don't want to think about that being the case. You know, I don't want to like if you told me, hey Mike, you know, it, you're not none of your teams will win again until twenty forty four, like holy shit, just saying that out loud, that's a long time from now. <laughs> but like I said earlier, I've seen it happen. I wouldn't be waiting 20 more years for the first. I'd just be waiting another 20 for another. I mm-hmm. I feel this feels like I'm really like building it up beyond what it is, but like it feels completing. You know, like yeah. there was that missing thing in me like I I need to see it. I need to know that it can happen and now I have it. Now I do. And I'm so <clears throat> I'm so grateful to everyone on this team and you know everyone on that coaching staff for giving me that um and i remember the the covid season 2020 where michigan was ass two and four um and harbaugh had gone six years at that point had never beaten ohio state and there was a lot of talk about potentially firing him and i remember saying like it's bad we can't beat ohio state but I don't feel like, but I still trust Harbaugh. There's something there. Like, I feel like he gives us the best shot. And this feels validating. Like, I feel validated there as well. Um, not that I'm trying to say, like, oh, yeah, look at me. I was so smart four years ago or whatever. But, like, that that's not where I'm coming from with that. It's more like a, it, it feels like I was rewarded for having confidence in him, which isn't something that you get all the time. I, I guess that's the last thing I say. I'll say like whether or not Harbaugh stays, um, I'm glad that he was our coach for the last ten years. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean that. What I'll say is, it's sports. It's one of those things where there's so much passion and emotion in it and that's one of the the beautiful things about it is you know sure we i mean you did not attend the university of michigan i didn't attend florida state you know um but even people who did how many people actually were part of the football program or played on the team or whatever and then you take that even further to professional sports very few people get a chance to be involved actually involved with the organizations on like a personal level however so you know really realistically there's no reason for us to to be so invested in it but there's something about it being a bigger thing than yourself something about really putting everything that you have into it knowing that there are a lot of other people out there who are doing the same thing um and when you know when you're finally rewarded with reaching the the highest peak um, that everyone else is trying to get to, it's finally your team. There's something that's just, it's, it's rewarding. It's unexplainable in, in some respects of man, all of those hours uh, and time and emotion that I've put into it. It finally, feels like yes this is it you know i remember screenshotting 
my notifications on my, on my phone when the Braves won the World Series in 20, uh, 2021 because I was like, for once, I'm not reading another team's notifications that they're the ones who won the World Series or they're the ones who won the Super Bowl or the national championship, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, it's my team. Um, my like one true, like above all others team. Um, and the fact that you have that too is, is just awesome. Um, and you know, it's, it really puts it into perspective of like, this is all worth it, you know? Um, and I think people who are listening to this will, will completely understand that because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all really into it. Um, and it means a lot to all of us. So, um, with all that to say, any of you out there who whose team has not won uh, a, a championship, I'm, sure I'm sorry. Out there, like you know, he's a fan of Missouri or something. He's like, well, <laughs> damn, that sounds nice. <laughs> hey, you know, if you're a fan of Missouri, you had a pretty good season this year. True. Like, uh, yeah, that's something to be proud of. But no, but anybody who whose team has not won. Um, you know, keep the faith. Um, Mike's faith was, was tested at times for sure. Um, being an Atlanta sports fan is, is not for the faint of heart. Um, and of course it's ironic that of course it's Michigan and not one of the, one, not the Falcons or the Hawks that broke the streak. Um, but you know, if you are out there, then keep the faith. It happened for Mike. It could happen for you. That's just nice. It's nice, isn't it? And that's also a nice way to wrap up uh, this first part of the show. Uh, When we come back, we're going to get into top five, our hot seat, and of course, the fun fact to close out the show. So I find it funny that the last segment ended with a sort of like, feel good, you know, like, keep the faith, you know, it can happen for you, you know, all this, you know, pretty positive vibe there. And we get into top five. And for this top five, we're going to be breaking down our personal top five sports rivalries for teams later on, not in this episode, but in a future episode, we'll do the same thing, but for individual rivalries, but you know, this episode will cover teams. But anyway, it's just ironic to me because we went from the feel good to let's talk about teams that hate each other, where the vitriol flows like water, like a mighty river. Of hatred, you know, we're just going to cover all blades of grass in, in this episode. True, kind of like Michigan's defense. A love it. That was smooth. Um, so I'll go ahead and start with my number five rivalry for teams, and it's already been mentioned so far today: Falcons Saints. The reason I put this here. Uh, in addition to our, you know, living in the South, being Atlanta sports fans, is this one is interesting to me in that this is not a rivalry that comes out of success or, you know, major competition from a, like, elite skill standpoint. These aren't like two superpowers in the NFL is what I'm trying to say, nor have they really ever been. This is a rivalry that's formed out of nothing but pure hatred. Saints and Saints fans and Saints coaches and Saints execs hate the Falcons. 
and their fans and players and coaches, and vice versa. I mean, look at look at the last game. The the fake kneel into the Jamal Williams touchdown when they're already up by twenty four. That was savage. Leading to you know, now ex head coach Arthur Smith going to yell at the Saints head coach and then Jimmy Graham responds on Twitter ending it with a F U Falcon or F the Falcons or whatever. Um it's like the Falcons call Saints the Aints, you know, like it's all just like bad vibes. Um no matter how good these teams are, no matter how shitty these teams are, no matter how good one is and the and bad the other is, you can expect like that heated competition that just stems from them like playing each other, you know. Uh they are rivals because they don't like each other, not because they're always competitive or whatever. Mm-hmm. It it helps that they're in the same division for sure. Um, but in terms of like I'm sure a lot of the other teams on this list are going to have experienced a lot of success and play each other in championship games and all that kind of stuff. That's not the case here. It's just they don't like each other. Um, I thought about doing Falcon Saints at five, and then I changed my mind because, you know, these are our lists, right? So, like, if you think objectively what are the the top five, you know, sports rivalries, Falcon Saints is not going to make it. They're not big enough. Um, but for for Mike, obviously it is because he's a, he's a Falcons fan. So for me, I was going to put Falcon Saints. And then I was like, hmm, what team do I hate the most? That's like, a you know, a traditional rival of one of my teams. And I landed up, ended up landing on the Philadelphia Phillies because they are the literal worst. Um, and... Everybody outside of Philadelphia agrees they are the any Philadelphia team is the worst. Um <laughs> specifically the fans. Um so yes, it is the Braves versus the Phillies. Um that's my number five sports rivalry. I know it's not as big as the others, but it's the same kind of line of thinking, which is funny that we both did that. Um where I had to put it in here. Um, you know, the Phillies have gotten the sort of last laugh the past two seasons in the playoffs beating the Braves, which is unfortunate. Um, however, they did not end up winning the World Series, which the Braves did in 21. So, you know, uh, there is that. Um, but I'll still say it. It's it's one of those things where I like it when the Phillies are good. I like it when we're better. Um, <laughs> but when, when those two teams play, like, there's that extra bit of intensity that maybe isn't there other times. So uh, I had to put that at number five for just for myself. And you started, but Fal- Falcon Saints was close, was a close, <laughs> was a close second though. When you started talking about what team do I hate the most? I was like Miami. Oh no. If I was alive in the nineties, like, and, and I could actually appreciate college football, then maybe, but <laughs> Miami's been irrelevant for like 20 years, so. Someday we'll have to do a top five most hated teams. <laughs> yeah. Add that to your notes. <laughs> um, no, but, okay, number four. This is more of an objective one, but Real Madrid versus FC Barcelona. Um, El Clasico. <laughs> um, this is 
as big a game as soccer gets uh the two powerhouses um in like the two biggest soccer teams in the biggest league in the world in the biggest sport in the world and they consistently are the two or at least one of them is consistently in the running for their championship most if not every year um this is basically the opposite of number five for me where five was they're not always that good but like they hate each other four is they're always that good <laughs> and so you have a more competitive rivalry in that regard Mm-hmm. yeah uh that will be a making an appearance later on my list so i'm not going to say too much in response um so at number four again this is a more objective it's the yankees and the red sox um what I think makes this one, and I do think that the media kind of takes this one over the top a little bit, um, but realistically, when the Red Sox traded their best player, Babe Ruth, uh, about a hundred something years ago, um, and like to their rival, even at that time, the Yankees, and obviously. The rest is history. Babe Ruth ends up being one of the best, greatest baseball players of all time. Um, And the Red Sox, as a, quote, curse, don't win a World Series for the next, like, 90 years or whatever it was. Um, That, in and of itself, is the makings of a great story and a great rivalry. It, It helps that they play in the same division. Um... And for a long period of time, it was the Yankees and the Red Sox going head to head for, um, you know, who was going to be tops in the division um, and, you know, experiencing postseason success once that curse was broken in 04. So, um, you know, also two of the biggest brands in baseball, um, Yankees being, you know, more of like a international brand um, and obviously them having way more championships than the Red Sox do. Uh, but it's still one of those where I'm not really one to watch a ton of baseball other than the Braves. But if Yankees and Red Sox is on, I'll probably tune in to see what happens. Um, so yeah, that one comes in at number four for me. Between our two top fours, I thought about them both. And I was like, they both probably deserve to be on here. But I want to talk about the Falcons and Saints. And I was like, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to bet that Dave talks about Yankees, Red Sox, and he will do it way better than I could. So the swing and the hit. Hey, there you go. At number three, Army versus Navy. Give it up for one of our oldest rivalries in sports, at least in American sports. Um, this rivalry dates back to 1890. The two teams have played uninterrupted since 1930. That's the year after the Great Depression, for a point of reference. With the Great Depression, the next year. Okay, Army-Navy, let's get, let's play some football. And that has happened ever since. So we're approaching 100 straight years of this game. So you have the longevity of this rivalry for starters, but then you look at the record, the breakdown of it, the Navy, 
Navy leads the all-time series 62 and 54 and 7. So it's a long-standing rivalry that's pretty damn close, too. You know, uh, a good decade or so, and the Army flips the script on a hundred-ish-year-old rivalry. It's just, it's that classic. And and there's something to the whole, like, it's not just like, I mean, you think about, I don't know, Georgia versus Alabama or something, you know, um, for everyone else, you know, like if you're, if you live in California or whatever, that's kind of like two random states, you know, that are close by each other and they hate each other and sometimes they're good. But Army, Navy, it's the, the two military, well, two of the military schools um, representing the nation and playing football against each other is something like even more like unifying uh, that transcends like the, the little geographical rivalries that we've mentioned in some spots. That's all very true. And it's funny because I had army Navy at number three uh-huh. as well. <laughs> so um, I won't talk too too much else. Cause you kind of took most of the things. Um, really for me i think what takes the cake is there aren't that many things that really get me feeling patriotic if i'm just being honest um but army navy is one of those things um especially at the end of the game where they play the alma maters um and then the they face like the losing team faces like the you know the other um the fans of the other team and all that kind of stuff um and just all the tradition that's into it you know it's been played for since 1890 for crying out loud um you know and just all of that history and what it means and um you know all of the go army beat navy go navy beat you know just it's just so embedded in the culture too and you know college football there's something to be said when teams that are in no way competing for the national championship get their own weekend for the game to be played where that's the only game that's getting played on that day is army Navy um, in the midst of all of the, the bowl games and all that kind of stuff. Like this gets played every year. It has its own special thing uh, with a commercialization of college football. It's, it's still pretty cool that that's the case. So um, yeah, there's just something special about that game. It's one of those ones where even though I don't really have any, major connection to either army or navy it's one of those things where i would love to be in that stadium at some point to experience it because i imagine it would be really really cool um so yeah i mean it's funny that we that we both had number three the same and i already know where you're going with probably number one i'm interested to see what number two is but Okay, well, I'll tell you who my number two is. It's Lakers and Celtics. The um, the NBA doesn't really have a lot of rivalry as far as teams go. Typically speaking, for the NBA, you have individual rivalries or specific teams that grow to be competitive against each other, like um, Warriors, Cavs when LeBron was there, or Spurs Heat, you know, Duncan and the crew versus LeBron on the Heat, you know, uh, the bad boy Pistons versus 
uh, Jordan's Bulls. Like, you have eras that develop rivalries. But there is, like, the Falcon Saints will always hate each other. The NBA doesn't have much of that, except for Lakers Celtics. And these are two of the oldest franchises in the NBA. Um, and they are tied for most championships in NBA history. They each have 17 championships. Like, come on. It doesn't get better than that now, does it? Um, whether that was the Celtics dominating in the 50s and 60s or the Lakers dominating in the 70s, uh, they go through um, they go through spurts historically of one being better than the other, but often it has lined up to where they're great at the same time. These teams are very, very rarely shitty. Like, Lakers had a couple off years, like, at the end of Kobe's career slash the couple years after. But these are two of the biggest markets. They're the most storied franchises. They're always going to attract free agents. Players are always going to want to play there. Uh, there's the the prestige of putting on those jerseys and looking into the rafters. And because of that, this um, this rivalry has stood the test of time, and it will. Because guys will always want to play for the Celtics. Guys will always want to play for the Lakers. Um, and they're always going to be uh, playing those major like telev nationally televised games. Uh, the rivalry lives on. Um, and you go back, and spoiler alert, you'll have to keep up with this for like, at least five more episodes, uh, but Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson will make an appearance in my top five individual rivalries. Um, that individual rivalry, Magic on the Lakers, Larry Bird on the Celtics, like, brought the NBA back to life in the 70s. Like, that was the NBA was falling off. They didn't want to, like, play games on live television. It was literally like, eh, catch it the next day. Read about it in the paper. And then this rivalry showed up. Uh, they came into the NBA basically at the same time, and boom. It was their meeting in the finals. Their every game, like, they're facing off against each other for MVP. Like, and it was their rivalry propelling the, the team's rivalry as well. Um, because you have that all-time elite individual rivalry, building up the team rivalry. I feel like that just speaks to the to the degree to which this is one of those big all-time rivalries. I feel like how many times can I say rivalry in that explanation? <laughs> just to clarify, when I said in the 70s there, I meant starting in the 70s and then going into the 80s. Uh in the 70s is when the NBA was like losing a lot of attention, but in the 70s or at the end of the 70s they were able to revitalize it and then keep that rivalry going into the 80s but in case that wasn't clear earlier mm -hmm. yeah it is interesting how the nba because probably because of the way that the playoffs work there aren't that many teams with like geographic rivalries um like the hawks playing the magic like no one cares you know <laughs> um or the heat or like any of these other teams like no one or the Hornets, I guess, or maybe the close. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's, there just isn't that much of that. It really is kind of based on the, whatever the, the powerhouse teams are of that era. Um, and then, you know, kind of pitted against each other, like you described earlier, but Lakers and Celtics, when you have two of those franchises that can speak to 
what I just talked about, but over the course of, you know, quite like several decades, then you have a great rivalry. And, um, and yeah, so I think that's, that's definitely a worthy member of the, the, um, the top five, even though it's not in mine because at number two, which I don't think after this episode, anyone's really going to be surprised that I believe it's going to be your number one. It's Michigan and Ohio state. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because obviously it's your team. Um, all I'm going to say is when it's called the game, that's pretty much all you need to know um, in terms of the the significance of it and how much it means. Um, I think there's there's something too about college football rivalries that are you know maybe even more intense than others because the fact that so many people have a personal connection to the you know you know to the schools the fact that you can pack 100,000 plus people into the big house um you know and especially when you get two teams like Michigan and Ohio State close in geographic proximity both have you know both have had strings of you know major success over the course of a long period of time kind of like we were talking about with the Lakers and and Celtics but you know, when it comes to teams that are, are playing for, um, you know, not just for pride or not just for championships, but for both, when, when you get that mixture, that, that's what really makes the, the true great rivalries, I, I feel like. And, you know, for so long it's, it's been, well, if Michigan doesn't beat Ohio State, then they're not going to have a chance at winning the, the, the national championship. And then you can say the same thing about Ohio State beating Michigan. Um, so even though maybe th- maybe four years ago, this game would have been a couple slots lower on my list um, just because of the sheer dominance of Ohio State. Um, you know, the fact that the past three years have gone the way that they have and yesterday Michigan coming off a national championship to kind of even the playing field a little bit. Um I think that that, you know, right now is a great time to be a part of that rivalry because I'm sure that, you know, over the next few seasons, it'll still be a a really good game and a really fierce matchup. Yeah, so agree with everything you said. Um, No surprise here. Michigan versus Ohio State is my number one. Um, It was not going to be a few years ago. Okay. <laughs> you know, we've won the last three years now. Before that, Ohio State had beaten us. Sorry. Before that, Michigan had beaten Ohio State three times this century. And it was like 2000, 2003, and 2011. Um, and, it, and I had gotten to the point where I felt like this is not so much a a rivalry game, but an ass whooping that we just write in at the end of the schedule. And we all just kind of, whatever the opposite of looking forward to, we just dread, you know, it coming up. Um, during the COVID year, the, the, the lone bright spot of the pandemic to me was that we didn't have to face Ohio state that year. That's how gloomy I was about it, but we've won three years in a row. We're back. And it feels like a rivalry again. 
and when that game feels like a rivalry there is none other like it um like you said it's called the game um for a reason um what was i about to say um thankfully it's a game the game that michigan has a winning record in but it's close it's 60 to 51 to 6 for michigan which means if we hadn't won these last three in a row it would be 57 to 54 (laughs) and one of my um one of my like you know big things in sports at this point is just like i just never want to see that flip you know i i just want michigan to always whatever the numbers are i want michigan always have that lead uh for all the stuff i said about the falcons and saints hating each other michigan fans and ohio state fans really hate each other and it's fun um like i'll i'll teach a class and someone will be like oh yeah and i'm an ohio state fan i'll be like oh filth like what are you doing here <laughs> like or oh yeah like you know my fiance will tell me about someone like oh yeah she started dating this guy he's he is an ohio state fan i'm like oh my gosh it, he sounds like a scumbag like, like it's like a dock on your your merit as a life form if you root for ohio state for me and i feel perfectly comfortable saying that because i know good and damn well that an ohio state fan would say the same thing about a michigan fan one tradition that ohio state uh has that you know i gotta respect it it's kind of funny is the week leading up to the Michigan game in all of their like social media, their flyers, posters, whatever, newspapers, they just cross out the M everywhere that they see it. That's funny to me. Um, no, this game is about one thing, and that is hatred. Um, if you like, if you're a coach at either of these schools, your reputation, the like short of winning championships is determined by your record against your rival point like case in point ryan day in the last three seasons has gone 11 and 2 all three years eight and one in conference games all three years those three losses are to michigan and ohio state fans want him fired against because he's lost to a michigan team that's back that's doing well and that just won the damn championship and they're like but you can't beat michigan trash (laughs) like that's how powerful this rivalry is um ryan day is a good coach who has ohio state as a great team but he's lost three in a row to michigan and they want his head on a stick for it there is no big there is no bigger rivalry than this Heck, the reason people wanted Harbaugh fired was because he couldn't beat Ohio State. <laughs> and now he just won. True. Um, you said there is no bigger rivalry than this. Unless there is. Um, and what I can say about college football and, you know, there being a lot of people who are who attend their universities and, you know, it kind of means more in a way. It's still very much an American game. Uh, and you don't really have anybody in any other country who really cares that much about college football. Um, however, the world's game is soccer. And the two, when you think about soccer teams, um, you know, 
yeah, maybe you think about Manchester United. Um, maybe you think about, you know, Manchester City and Liverpool and, the, you know, the heavy hitters in the Premier League. Um, but at the end of the day, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's El Clasico. And it's one of those things where the biggest game in club soccer um, in the world and the world's, you know, most popular sport, to me, it just, it takes the cake. Um, not to mention the fact that, uh, not, not all of them, of course, but the vast majority of all of the best players that have ever played the sport have played for one of these two teams. Um, you know, it's, it's called the classic for a reason. Um, and it's also one of those games where it rarely disappoints. There's always going to be something that happens in the game, whether or not it's a close game or not, there's going to be something that happens in the game that's going to be, that's going to make its mark. Um, sometimes that's violence. <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's, it's red cards, it's spectacular goals. It's, you know, draw jaw dropping saves, uh, you know, and, an extra time, it, you know, whatever the case might be, it always seems like these games really do mean more and they're the most, you know, it's, it's the biggest game in the world. Um, when it comes on, um, the most watched, um, at least in terms of like those teams playing each other. Um, I thought about Brazil versus Argentina and on this list because, of those two nations being, you know, two of the biggest powerhouses, um, you know, internationally, but they just don't play each other enough, um, uh, just because of the nature of, of international soccer. So, um, yeah, Barcelona, Real Madrid, like you said before, it's, it's usually one of those two teams that win the league. Sometimes Atletico sneaks in, but for the most part, it's, it's Real and Barcelona. Um, and, They've had the best players. The best players all want to play there. And those brands are just so iconic. Um, and the games always live up to the billing. So for the biggest game and the biggest sport, I had to go with with that one. Um, so that concludes our top fives. Um, obviously, these are subjective, but mixed with some objectivity as well. Um, otherwise it would have been Braves Phillies, Braves Mets, Falcons <laughs> State. Yeah, we're, we're not Florida State, Florida. We're not going to get into all that. Um, but hope you enjoyed um, our top fives. Of course, you can always drop your top five um, on our social media at Mike and Dave Pod uh, and share that with us if you would like. And we will be coming back at some point with another edition of this top five, but we're going to do individual rivalries. Um, as an example, like, like Mike said, bird and magic, um, will be on his. So we'll, we'll do one of those in the future as well. So make sure that you stay tuned for that whenever that comes. Um, but for now we'll take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with the hot seat and the fun fact. All right. We've got a couple more things to talk about before we wrap up the show. The first of those is the hot seat, where we have decided to put Draymond Green for what I can't imagine is the first time. 
Like, there's no way. We've done 70 of these. There's no way he hasn't shown up at least one. Hell, I'd be willing to guess this is at least his third time on the hot seat. And you know what? We haven't done this before, but if we were to have a, a hot seat Hall of Fame, he's definitely first ballot. got one. Yeah, he's definitely first ballot, 100%. Unanimous votes. He's in. Now, you might be thinking, wait, he punched Yusuf Nurkic in the face like a month ago. Are you just now getting around to that? Hold on. There's more. So he's coming back um, after his, well, what was an indefinite suspension. It became definite. Um, hopefully he actually sought out the help that, you know, the Warriors... Uh, PR team was saying he was doing <laughs> good lord um, I feel like that would be just this is just an aside but I feel like that would be really easy to be like you know if, if I'm Draymond like I imagine he, I'm saying something like I ain't going to that shit you know and then the warriors are like well we can't say that um, and so he like you know he just hangs out at his house for a couple weeks and the warriors are like yeah he's uh, talking to a professional you know sure you know um, anyway well, I feel like we'll see, you know, on the court. I give it a month. Um, he apparently had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation at his house with Steve Kerr, where they both cried. I'm not surprised. Um, Steve Kerr has been crying for 40 years. Um, this is the NBA in 2024. Yeah, it's part of the game. You punch somebody in the face and then you cry about it. Anyway, so they, they both cry, um, and apparently the message behind, uh, from Steve Kerr to Draymond was, you know, you, you can't let your career end this way. <laughs> By end this way, of course, he means ending your career early amidst a slew of, you know, <laughs> suspensions that stem from your inability to control yourself, let's say. And by control yourself, I mean, don't punch people in the face. <laughs> like, or put them in headlocks. Or put them in headlocks. Or kick them in the groin or whatever the hell. So then we find out that he had to be talked out of retirement by none other than Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. And just reading between the lines here. The fact that he was considering retirement for this means, oh, I don't want to play in a league where I can't punch people in the face. Like, what world does he live in? Where he's like, wait, why does everybody have a problem? I'm, And this is a quote, well, not in response to everything directly, but this is something he has said, I'm just going to be me. That's literally something he has said. And this is him being him and threatening to retire for not being able to be his most authentic and apparently violent self. Draymond Green coming to pay-per-view near you. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen celebrity boxing. Draymond Green's next up. But maybe they just need to do like a like Zani, it's not just boxing. It's I don't I don't, I don't even want to say mixed martial arts because whatever Draymond is doing, I, 
that's just disrespectful what to if, people who actually do that. What Draymond Green is doing is like if you turn on Mortal Kombat, but then like hand the controller to a five year old who just kind of like randomly presses buttons and you have him jumping around and swinging, you know. To be fair, five year olds these days probably would kick our ass in Mortal <laughs> Kombat. such as such as the the world we live in um but yeah draymond green i mean we'll see if one month of counseling fixed him i don't know um apparently he is going to be continuing to to go uh you know consistently during the course of the the rest of the season which is good um you know at the end of the day obviously like i want him to to get help and actually change and you know, whatever is leading to this kind of behavior, like, obviously, they would be great if it didn't keep happening. But it's one of those things where would he be getting, you know, these third, fourth, fifth chances, if he wasn't a star, if he wasn't, you know, a member of these dynastic Warriors teams, Skylar um, Mays is not getting this many chances. <laughs> well, I was thinking about Kai Jones, and that guy being a, like, I don't know what was going on with him, but all that he got was just let go from the Hornets, and then that's that was it, you know? It's just like, yeah, Kai Jones is not getting the same type of, like, one, one-on-one conversation with Adam Silver that Draymond is. Um, so it is kind of inauthentic and weird in a way that, like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna treat some players uh, a little bit differently than others, but... You know, at the end of the day, I hope that Draymond gets is getting and will continue to get the help that he needs. And, um, you know, hopefully that's, you know, punching Yusuf Nurkic in the face is is the, the last time that we'll see one of his antics like that. But I've got to say at this point, it's just a matter of, of when, not if. Yeah, and I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I want to... I guess, amend something I said at the beginning of this segment, because I was definitely joking about the notion of Draymond Green getting professional help, uh, that, uh, assuming that he wouldn't take it seriously and that the Warriors PR team would make it seem like he is. I believe that. Um, nothing about Draymond Green makes me think that he's going to take this all too seriously, at least with the idea of changing. But mental health is incredibly serious. I, it's super important to me. I know it is to you. And getting help when needed is very important. I hope that everyone does that. I want everyone to be the best versions of themselves. So I just want to make it clear that I'm not at all joking about the idea of getting help. That's super important. Can't say it enough. I, Because it's so important to me, I want it to be taken as seriously as it deserves to be taken seriously. So I just want to put that out there as an amendment earlier so that I'm perfectly clear on where I'm coming from. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a good clarification. Also like it's, it's a good thing that he's going. It's just one of those, like is a month of counseling really going to change whatever, you know, whatever the, the cause is, is it really going to stop the effect from happening at, at this point? I don't know. Like I said, I, I hope that's the case, but at the end of the day, 
for Draymond's behavior and the fact and the way that this is all handled, it's still hot seat worthy, 100%. Um, but like, it would also not be the worst thing in the world if this was Draymond's last appearance on the hot seat. Um, not just for his sake, but also so we can get some some fresh blood because it's just kind of tired at this point. Like, all right, we get it. Um, and let's be real. We'll have no trouble finding new candidates. Like, no, we will not. As a peek behind the curtain, before every episode, when we're deciding together what the hot seat will be for that episode, it's never like, oh, we got to find something. It's always... Okay, well, there's this, 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 and this. Which is more hot seat? <laughs> we'll be fine. Draymond, we want you to be fine, too. Or retire. I, frankly, I don't care. Um, but my guess is that he won't just straight up retire this year. Um, my actual guess is that he will eventually have another incident. And at that time, rather than be suspended forever, he'll retire. <laughs> On you know, quote unquote, on his terms, but what's not retiring anytime soon is Dave's fun fact. It's, it's that time of the episode. What do you got for us? All right. So <clears throat> over the weekend, um, I spent a day at Disney World, um, which was a fun experience. Definitely a different kind of experience than it it was when I was like nine and a different experience than I was when uh I was in middle school um but it was definitely a good time um and one thing that I that got me thinking on the drive down there was man Disney World has a lot of stuff like they've got the four parks they've got all you know they've got these water parks they've got the you know worldwide of wide world of sports whatever it's called um They've got all the resorts that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, it got me thinking like, how big is it? So I looked it up <clears throat> and I've got to say, I was not anticipating it being this big. So the, the size of the entire Walt Disney World Resort is 40 square miles or the size of San Francisco. <laughs> Not right. Or neither was I. I was like, okay, it's going to be big. But I'm like, the size of a huge city like San Francisco, you've got to be kidding me. That is insane. To be fair, my feet felt like it was by the time I was done walking <laughs> every day. But um, but yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, no wonder they call it Disney World. It feels like you're walking across the damn world as you're going yeah. through. <laughs> Honestly. But but yeah, that was um that's my fun fact. And um I will say I I do have to say one other thing. So we went to Harry Potter World uh one day at Universal, and then we went to Disney World the second day. And Harry Potter World was definitely really cool. I would recommend it if you're into Harry Potter and you haven't been. Um, but it really going there and then going to Disney world the next day, it was very much just like a totally different vibe um, that I had forgotten from when I was at universal and Disney before it was very much like universal's like the drunk uncle 
and Disney's like the <laughs> the straight laced like you know mom or whatever um i was like man this is real weird um the the once i stepped into disney i was like okay this is definitely different and probably better um but i had fun at both but it was kind of funny seeing the difference between the two universal the drunk uncle i'm sure that was like in their developmental meetings like someone had a a trifold or whatever and he's like explaining to his boss like all right so here's what we're going for picture disney world but like drunk uncle <laughs> they've already got their their lane is already well defined how can we do like, something similar but different their ceo is like yes 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 <laughs> love it hell yeah let's do it uh anyways um yeah i think that that's pretty much all the time that we have um thank you again for listening as always um like i mentioned before you can always get in touch with us at mike and dave pod uh, on social media we'd love to to chat um and you know what it's one of those things where we're we're 70 episodes in where we're making our way slowly to the that 100 mark so whether you've been with us for one episode or all 70 we appreciate you uh, and hope that you'll be there for the next 30 um because i also had an idea for our 100th episode um while we were recording this podcast so maybe we'll do that so stay tuned for that oh shoot of course it's going to be in like a year and a half or whatever (laughs) based on our upload schedule but you know let me yeah, if we, we upload an episode every other week, we got 30 more, so that's 60. Yep, so just over a year-ish. Yeah, that's wild. Uh-huh. On the one hand, it feels right around the corner, and then it's like, okay, yeah, episode 100 coming, like, March-ish of 2025. Bless it, dude. Um, yeah, there was one other thing that i left off uh when we were doing the top fives i had one honorable mention i want to talk about for uh, a rivalry team and that's uh the new heights podcast hosted by jason and travis kelsey and the mike and dave podcast you know two pillars of sports podcast entertainment or at least it would be so in the in the effort to get to that level please like us uh share give us that five-star review, you know, all the things, all the things. Yeah. And unfortunately we're both taken. So we, we can't, you know, does we can't go out and, and, and court uh, Ariana Grande or like one of these other stars that like, or like, you know, they're Taylor Swift's taken. Like we can't really, we we're already locked up. So, you know, this is, you're basically are our only hope. We also don't have the athletic prowess to capitalize on. So we do have the the charisma and the chemistry. So we both have beards. Um, yeah, that's true. Like, what more could you want? Like, from my understanding, you know, that's why they were successful. We're more relatable. Yeah, we're we're more like everyday guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't just run into Jason Kelsey at the kroger or whatever but you could damn sure run into me 
yeah, that's our appeal. Anyway, like, share, subscribe, blah de blah, all the fun stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, episode 71 coming out in two weeks from the time you're listening to this. But until that time, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. <laughs>